Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Latter Day Takes. I'm your host, Harper Anderson. On today's podcast, we have an awesome lineup. It's a long one, folks, so buckle up. Go somewhere. Keep driving. Just keep driving today because it's a good one. I think y'all will appreciate it. On today's episode, what I do is I highlight a couple things for the new segment, and then I do kind of a spiritual thought all in that segment because Eric and I get pretty spiritual on our own. I I don't want to say spiritual, sorry. That's probably a bad way of putting it, but we get a little kind of gospel-oriented, right? So I didn't want to inundate you with another segment right after that because he and I get into the Book of Mormon. He shares some scriptures. I share some scriptures. We talk about parallels from the Book of Mormon to today and things like that. We have a great back and forth. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's about an hour and a half long. If you just came to listen to that, go ahead and skip to that. That's probably going to be about 20 minutes in for the podcast, roughly, right? It's hard to kind of estimate those things at this point. But um, for the intro, what I talk about is uh, a couple of things. I, I bring up a Don Lemon uh, clip that is going around. It's kind of making its waves. It's about reparations, and this lady just completely just schooled him. It was hilarious. It was funny to see. He just was speechless. And then I gave some thoughts on that because slavery and reparations is an interesting topic, and it's something that we don't talk about a lot because we kind of don't want to for one and another. There actually is some nuance behind it that was brought about by this woman on Don Lemon's show, and I thought that was important, so I kind of wanted to talk about that aspect a little bit that goes under-discussed, in my opinion, right? That's just me. But anyway, from there, I get into my experience at Oregon, the University of Oregon, the football game when they were playing BYU. I was there, physically present, and what's making the waves right now is the F the Mormons chant, right? Anyway, so I talk about my experience with that, how that went, and then I close it out with a spiritual thought that lasts about five minutes, just kind of something that's been on my mind, something that I read recently in the Book of Mormon. And then we get into the episode with Eric Mutzos, and then we close it out. Love you all. Hope you all have had a great week. I hope you didn't miss me too bad. Either way, I'm back. And then, once this episode is over, you can catch me next week. I'll see you all on the other side. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, most of it. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. Okay, so on for today's news segment. I'm actually, gosh, I swear my chair squeaks every time I start this. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm actually going to combine a couple things here because I don't want to take up a whole other segment after the interview with Eric Mutsos today because he and I actually like talk a lot about gospel and and, and uh, scriptural subjects and that gets pretty interesting I think. So I don't want to just completely inundate you with that but I did want to share a couple things um, but I'll do that on the back end of this segment. To get going I kind of want to mention a few things. I uh, So I actually got sent a video that I thought was pretty dang funny. As most of you are probably aware by now, 
I haven't really talked about him a whole lot. Maybe never. I can't remember if I've done that on this podcast. But uh, Don Lemon, right, CNN anchor, who actually, by the way, from what I understand, is losing his show, Don Lemon, tonight. I think he's just going to go back to, like, regular anchor status. I'm not positive on that, but it's just kind of part of the CNN overhaul. CNN's actually making great strides to try and return to kind of center um, since they got rid of Jeff Zucker, who was kind of the, the president of CNN. They've made bigger strides in trying to come across as more moderate instead of so liberal as they have been in the past. And so they've taken away a lot of shows, obviously. Um, the Chris Cuomo firing did not have to do with that, right? That was uh, uh, based on sexual misconduct, also the stuff with his brother going on, kind of how he was prepping him for certain interviews and things like that. It was very, like, big, big uh, breaches of journalistic ethics. But then there was the sexual misconduct to kind of to boot to kind of get him off there. But anyway, so Chris Cuomo's show gets next, and then uh, they actually got reliable sources off there as well. Um, so Brian Stelter no longer has, uh, I don't even think he works for CNN anymore, and now Don Lemon Tonight is actually getting the axe as well. I don't think it has officially happened because the clip I'm about to share with you all came from Don Lemon Tonight. And to give you kind of some background, what it is is that Don Lemon brought on a royal commentator, as she is dubbed, from what I understand. Hillary Fordwich is her name, um, who has been kind of, it sounds like she does a lot of PR stuff, but that's probably doesn't even begin to describe really what she does. She's been a contributor to a lot of different um, news outlets, uh, talk royals, stuff, things like that. She's kind of really deep into the business world and political world, um, but she's very well connected to kind of the royal family, it sounds like. And... He brought her on. I'm not sure why he brought her on specifically to talk about reparations, but he brought up this idea like, hey, maybe maybe uh, we should talk reparations and how those get those get paid back. And for those that aren't familiar, reparations obviously are um, what we would call essentially the residual outcomes of or the, the effect of slavery. So basically slavery happens, right, specifically from the African nations. Uh, slaves get sold and bought by the United States or pre-United States, and then they become the United States, and then slavery is still a thing, obviously, until the 1860s. And reparations would be to kind of pay that back and to say, hey, this economy really thrived because of slavery, so now we can pay back the descendants of those slaves uh, through this reparations, which would essentially be like government bailouts and things like that. I don't know exactly how it would get funded. I can only imagine it would really be government governmental funding, but I don't know for sure. Uh, regardless, it gets very murky because it's really hard back. It's really hard to trace back kind of slavery history. But anyway, her response was something I'd never really heard before. But I had kind of, kind of towed that, like skirted that issue, like where it's kind of like, well, we need to actually get to the genesis of all this. So I'm just gonna go ahead and let her explain her own stance on what it is like, how we should deal with reparations. And then you have the, those who are asking uh, for reparations for colonialism and they're wondering you know a hundred billion dollars 24 billion dollars here and there 500 million there some people want to be paid back and uh, and members of the public are wondering why are we suffering when you are you know you have all of this vast wealth those are legitimate concerns well i think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it though what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain where was the beginning of the supply chain that was in Africa, and when across the entire world, when slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished sla uh, slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, in Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2,000 
naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery. Why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people. They had them on cages waiting in the beaches. No one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages. So no question the best part of that video, if you had a chance to watch it, was Don Lemon literally speechless for like three seconds, which is actually a very long time when you're on live television as an anchor, supposedly just, you know, engaging with your guest. And it was hilarious. It was hilarious because Don Lemon, I'm sure, had not really been confronted with something like that before when it comes to reparations. Uh, a lot of us haven't really talked about that aspect. It's like, what is the actual genesis of slavery? Now, one thing I remember hearing a long time ago, and this is something that did kind of change my perspective a little bit with how slavery is. As terrible, evil, vile, and sick as it was, it is important to understand where it came from, which is that African kings and tribes were actually selling other African tribes or whatever. Like, with if, if they would absorb another tribe and make them their slaves, which is nothing nothing new, I mean, for that time especially. I mean, they had that in the Book of Mormon. Um, then they would see these, you know, men from other countries, a lot of them white, Western uh, countries, who should have known better, by the way, so it's not to exonerate them by any means, right? Because Westernization is Christianity, essentially, or a culture and a society designed around Christian beliefs. And they should have known better than to freaking buy humans. Like, it's terrible. But with that said, it was not them who had that idea. And that is important, I think, in all this. And so they buy these slaves and then ship them across seas and then use them, right? That was the slave trade. Obviously, to help advance their economies and for very selfish, terrible reasons. So anyway, her point being, yeah, sure, let's let's talk reparations. They should be paid. With that said... Who pays them? Is it the people that started them or is it the people that ended them? Which was something that was really interesting that she brought up, that the first country to abolish slavery was in the United Kingdom. That's extremely important in all this, right? Because why should those that decided that maybe we should stop and put an end to this are also the ones that have to pay the price for having it existed in the first place? I mean, it's an interesting question. And what I had heard at one point was that the United States never started slavery you know, but the Civil War did end slavery uh, in their country. And, you know, 260, however many, I think it was 600,000 total on both sides. And 600,000 men died fighting that war of slavery, right? Whether or not they were fighting for or against it, uh, it isn't the, the exact point I'm making. But 600,000 died in the name of slavery. And that's an important thing to recognize. And I don't know if we talk about it enough. But again, I'm a white male, so who wants to listen to me anyway, right? So anyway, uh, going from there, I I do think uh, I want to mention one other thing in terms of a current event kind of thing, which for those of you that are connected on Twitter or BOE Sports or anything like that, a lot of what's going around right now is that there was an F the Mormons chant going on at Autzen Stadium, which is the stadium for the University of Oregon football. I happened to be there. I was actually there for that game. I flew to Oregon with some friends, and we had a great time. It was a long weekend. Oregon's a beautiful state. Um, I think I tipped the scales in Washington's favor, though. Washington's crazy beautiful. Um, not the biggest fan of Portland. I don't really think Portland itself has much to offer, but Oregon is a really cool, cool state. It's uh, it's pretty. has some really cool things to see, and their beaches are actually way more impressive than I would have thought. I didn't know they were as their waves had as many, like, 
surfing that or as much surfing as you could as they had when we were there anyway sorry i'm rambling um but it was a fun time and i was at the stadium i personally did not hear those chants not only did i not hear those chants i actually had a great experience uh the people in front of me were very friendly almost too friendly it was kind of weird and by that i mean when it was 10-0 BYU finally scored and it was 10-7 and at 10-7 the lady in front of us like get, like dabbed us, I, which I was like, okay, it's a little early for this, right? Like, I understand if you're up 30 and we finally score, then you're like, hey, congrats, which is a little bit patronizing, but she wasn't doing it in that way. Like, that's that's why I knew she was being very nice. So I was like, okay, this is going to be cordial, which we were we were nice to. I mean, it was obviously very, it was reciprocated on our end, I would like to think, which, I mean, it was. So um, they, they made it very pleasant. Uh, there was one guy, I think as we were, as we were walking back, as we were leaving, because BYU just decided not to show up and it was kind of a miserable game itself, but the experience was fun. Um, uh, a guy said, Mormons hate homos. And he just like kept yelling that. And it's like, okay, whatever. And, uh, and then another guy was kind of getting in our face and he's like, why are you guys leaving? Why are you leaving? Cause we we're clearly leaving the game early. And I just looked at him and I was like, oh, we're not, we're coming right back. And he had zero clue what to do after that. Um, he just didn't know what to say. So that was kind of funny. But anyway, overall, great experience. I did not personally hear that chant. Obviously, it happened. It's on video. I, I'm i not making too much of it. I mean, it's terrible. And, and, and the thing I hate the most is the double standard. And I love the fact that we have some major outlets kind of pointing this out and defending BYU, which is so ironic, by the way, that BYU gets thrown under the bus for a racial slur that allegedly happened but hasn't been proven and it makes national news. Everybody's tweeting about it. LeBron James, CNN's talking about it. First Take is talking about it on ESPN. And then we have clear video evidence of F the Mormons. And then it's kind I mean, it's not radio silence because there were some major outlets covering this, which I, again, I'm grateful for. But you don't obviously have it covered to the extent that the racial slur, the alleged racial slur that took place down at the BYU volleyball game was. So... Uh, interesting double standard there. I don't really care in terms of people, like, it's nice to see people come to our defense, and I do care about people attacking my religion. Maybe this is why we're distancing ourselves from the name Mormons, by the way, but anyway, um, because this is all how it's going to end anyway, you know? I mean, eventually, pretty much everyone's going to be saying F the Mormons, and it is what it is. I'm not too concerned about it. It's... I don't get to offend. I certainly don't get offended by it. That that's that's my overall stance. I don't get offended by it. Um, I don't have the time or energy to get offended by something like that. So that's that's where I land. Other thing I wanted to share because, like I said, I don't want to cover a whole gospel segment at the end because Eric and I get into some cool gospel discussions and he gives some. We get, we talk about parallels from like today and the Book of Mormon um, back in back when that was uh, taking place. But I did read something that I wanted to share. And I wanted to share this because it's particularly relevant to me because I'm starting to see this growth. And it's really sad. I'm seeing this in some people around me. But out of Moroni 8.4, I, I read this scripture recently and I was like, holy cow, I'm starting to see this in people I know and people that are members of the church. And it's Mormon who's writing a letter to his son Moroni, right? It's Near the end of times, Mormon here is referring to the Nephites, his own people, that he's growing 
disenchanted with. He's becoming disillusioned about their fate. He's like, these people don't even want to change. They don't even care. This is what he writes to Moroni. He says, Behold, I am laboring with them continually, speaking of the Nephites, and when I speak the word of God with sharpness, they tremble and anger against me. And when I use no sharpness, they harden their hearts against it. Wherefore, I fear lest the Spirit of the Lord hath ceased striving with them. And my own experience is that there are people that talk about wanting to change, uh, or having a hard time with dealing with certain things and they're unable to make big changes or strides on their own. And I personally think it's because the spirit has ceased striving with them. Now, fortunately, that's temporary. So what I mean by that is that it's actually really easy to get the spirit back, especially if you've been given the Holy Ghost. And that's the beautiful side of this. And that it doesn't really take much to enact that catalyst. And by that, I mean that catalyst that tells you, hey, wait a second, the spirit really is still there. Let's get you back on the path. And you use that catalyst to build momentum, which is something that President Nelson spoke about last conference about six months ago. And you build, you get that catalyst by showing faith, right? We saw through all of Ether 12, the miracle does not come until after the trial of the faith, right? Of our faith. So you have to make an effort. You have to fast. You have to pray. You have to do something. You have to get a blessing. You have to do something in order to try and get that catalyst. And then when that comes, and when you start to get that seed, and that seed grows, and that builds, then you can use more momentum. And you can make bigger changes. You can enact what uh, President Nelson had suggested, right? She was telling us to seek and expect miracles. He was telling us to find somebody that we may have offended uh, at any point in our life, or vice versa, or that we had hard feelings towards, and either ask their forgiveness or to forgive them and to seek out and kind of make, try and make peace with them. Um, fasting for 24 hours is a huge one. I'm a big, big believer. And when I say 24, I don't mean like, ooh, strict 24. If you 23, 59, you're not doing it right. But I mean like really with the intent to actually kind of really try and purify your soul and your body at the same time. Anyway, kind of rant, rambling at this point, but that was a scripture that stood out to me because it's kind of scary. I'm starting to see this with, uh, with more, more and more people around me that are losing the spirit but not doing anything to try and get it back, which is obviously what Mormon had witnessed in there in the last days. And I think we're going to see more and more of this as people uh, don't really want to make those changes, which I understand. Those changes aren't easy, but they are necessary. Anyway, with that, we'll go ahead and toss it to my interview with Eric Mutsos. I hope you all have a great week. We'll see y'all on the other side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining me today on the podcast is somebody that I, I don't know if I've been more excited about a guest, quite frankly. And I know I'm, I'm not saying that just to flatter you. I've never used those words before introducing a guest, so there's that at least. Is Eric Mutsos, who is honestly kind of challenging to introduce because you could say he's a, he's a former Salt Lake County police officer, but that doesn't even begin to describe. It's like not even 10% associated with what you do. Now, it did lead you kind of on the path that you're on that we'll get to in a second. But 
you're so much more than that. You are, I mean, would you describe yourself as a freedom fighter? What, like, what are we talking here? I'll, I'll let you kind of, I'd rather have, have, hear you say it yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, that is, it's my passion is freedom and liberty. That is my passion. It has been ever since I was awakened, you know, when I was a cop, you know, I started, my sister sent me a bunch of Glenn Beck stuff when I was a police officer. And I'm like, what, what is this? You know, I, and so I subscribed to this thing called GBTV. I don't know if you remember that, but it was kind That's of the so first, completely. well, it was the first uh, conservative that kind of went on their own after he left Fox. Uh, Fox. And then he started his own thing to where you subscribe five bucks a month. So I started listening to this and then I came across this book that he was promoting called the 5,000 year leap, which is Cleon Skousen. And so I started reading this stuff and I'm just like, I had no clue. I had no idea about the, how America was established, why it was established, how it was the promised land, why the constitution, um, was inspired, you know, not perfect, but inspired Yeah. to where, to where we could, you know, have the ability to have a free country, uh, to, to even have religion, you know, um, 13 years after the bill of rights were ratified, um, Joseph Smith was born. Right. I mean, it's, so that's when I was awakened to where I just had this deep, deep fire for freedom. And to the point where I started passing these books around at my work at Salt Lake city police department and people would look at it like, what is this? I'm like, you got to read this book, which was the 5,000 year leap. And, um, so that's, that's kind of where my, my passion for Liberty started. And that was in 2000, probably 10 ish, 2010, 2011, right around there. Oh, nice. I'm going to have to check out that book. I've actually never heard of that, but I'm a Skousen fan. I would say, I wouldn't say necessarily. I know I've read the, uh, the, some of the thousand year series, not 5,000 year leap, but like, you know, the first 2000 years, the third thousand years. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but. Oh, I have them all. You have them all. Of course you do. Um, Skousen's brilliant. I, I've actually never seen somebody synthesize information as well as he does and to make it so understandable for just the yeah. average person. He's got a gift that way and or had a gift, oh, yeah. I guess, if you want to say that. But um, Skousen has always fascinated me. And this is, by the way, there's there's going to be plenty of tangents in here, I feel like, because you're going to say something and then I'm going to try and I'm just going to ask you about that. That's how it's going to work. I'm po- cool. positive about that. Uh, cool. But I'm a big fan of Skousen. I think it's especially funny when he, I guess maybe I don't even know if I want to get into this, but I'm just going to tell you anyway. Uh, the He mentions how like the the lost tribes of Israel are literally underground. I don't know if you've ever seen anything that he's written about that. And, and I, 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 ha- I have not read that, but I've heard of that before. Um, which I find also fascinating. And he's so brilliant, so I'm not even going to like readily dismiss anything he says I don't, I find that hard to believe personally, but he loves, he, he says it in a way where it's just, he thinks his reader just kind of assumes the same way he does, which I think is hilarious. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that man is gifted. Big fan of Skousen. Yeah. So that's where it started. And then when I started to see some real, real big problems within the Salt Lake City Police Department, which by the way, Cleon Skousen was the police chief, police chief of yeah. Salt Lake City from 1956 to 1960, which he found the Salt Lake City mayor involved in a whole bunch of criminal activity, gambling rings, things like that. And so that's why he ended up getting terminated because he, he, he found his boss in a lot of dirty stuff. 
And so, um, when I started to see some things within the police department, um, it was really unsettling, you know, and it was all in the name of goodness, right? I mean, when I was on the bicycle unit, my sergeant came to us and they wanted us to do five arrests per day. I was already their number one guy on the bike unit. You know, our areas to patrol Pioneer Park, the homeless shelter. Um, there was East Side Squad, West Side Squad. I was on the West Side Squad. And my numbers were, they were the highest, either one or two in most every single category that they had, you know, with, tr you know, traffic stops, misdemeanors, drug offense, you name it. So when he came down and said, you guys have to arrest five people per day, my that little voice and it was like no this is not right and so I challenged him don't want to get into that whole story it's actually in um I wrote a book about it and it's free online I'll I can tell you where it's at but um, yeah, where is I wrote that a book about, it's just at ericmutsos.com okay and under the tab under book you can go read it um because I'll get I'll get into how I eventually got out of law enforcement if you want me to yeah um <clears throat> but he they wanted us to arrest five people. And I said, I basically said, no, it was pretty much it. I challenged him. I did three tickets that, that night I did three misdemeanors instead of five and I got in big trouble. Um, they, my Sergeant pulled me out of the, of the office, just, just went off on me, just swore, just, just verbally assaulting. And he made me stay after shift an extra hour to arrest two more people. And I still wouldn't do it. And so, um, didn't pay me overtime, all of my squad left and I'm sitting there like, I'm not doing it. Right. I mean, it's just the principle, like what happens? And I asked him these questions. I said, what happens if the citizens knew that we had to arrest five had to, uh, what happens if we don't then what? And, and he didn't really have much, he didn't have a lot of answers for this. That, so, that philosophy, by the way, assumes so much negativity about humanity. And granted, there's a lot of negativity to be assumed about humanity. But when I thought about that, because I've heard you talk about this before, it made me think the it doesn't matter. They're not trying to fix the problem. It's like they're trying to take advantage of it more than anything. Absolutely. And it all comes back down to money, I'm convinced. I mean, most of these big police departments, what they do is they take their numbers at the end of the year and they turn all their numbers in over to the feds. And then the feds give them grant money depending on how much, what their arrests are, you see? And so I've been saying this for a long time that in some agencies, now not all agencies work like this. There's some, there's some good sheriff departments out there. There's a few good you know, city police departments, which I don't believe any, I, I believe all, um, the, they should be elected representatives. They should all be sheriffs in my opinion. Um, not appointed political pawns because that, right. that's pretty much what's happened. And <clears throat> that's, so I'm, what I'm saying is I, when, when you hear this story, don't think that every agency is like this because it's not. Um, but the ones that are really liberal, um, that's exactly how they work. They, we sometimes create more problems than we're solving, you know? So instead of looking for people, how am I going to help you? as, you know, public servants, we're looking at how am I going to arrest you? So I didn't, I didn't get officially in trouble. And the reason why I didn't is because they couldn't officially put that on my record. It would expose they, themselves. They have to admit that they yeah. had quotas. Yeah. 
So I had put in for a bunch of different positions and I could, I didn't get picked up. Finally tried out for the motorcycle unit and, um, didn't get picked up even though I passed the class. I was one of the only guys that passed the class. I still didn't get picked up and I just wanted to know why I'm like, Hey, look, I know I wasn't the best motorcycle rider, but I want to know why. And the sergeant at the time said, I'll just be straight up with you. It's because, um, you were insubordinate. And I was like, Whoa, Whoa. whoa, whoa. I said, is this about the quota thing? You know, is this about the quota thing that happened a couple of years ago? And yeah, it's about this. Okay. So I, I took that up to the deputy chief. I pulled all my stats and I showed him, I, I met with him. I said, I was your number one person on all of it. So this had nothing to do with work. I, and I told, I explained the whole thing and there was kind of like this, kind of like this mute comprehension that, that we had together that he, he knew there was a big problem, right? And so I think that's why they took me because within the next couple of days, now I'm on the motorcycle squad. Mm. And I think I dug my own grave because they, the whole next week of training, I could tell they wanted me to fail. Like I could feel it. I could, I knew it like little things. They were just picking apart everything. And then I'm like, look, I, I know I'm not good. I'm not because mo- riding a motorcycle, the way that they want you to ride is very difficult. I can imagine. And I mean, you've got to like these machines, they're 1200 pounds. You got to like do these circles. You got to do all these figures and you got to ride tandem. You got to, I mean, it's scary, but I passed. And so I'm on the squad now. They set me down and they say, we got to do 20. <laughs> they wanted us to do 20 tickets a day <laughs> or two DUIs. And I'm just, I'm at to the point now, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to put my head down. I, ch- I decided that I was going to do more DUIs because, you know, I guess I believe in them more, you know, because, you know, you don't want drunk right. drivers. So, I mean, I still wrote tickets, but my main thing was DUIs. And so I became the number one DUI officer by far. I had like 160 DUIs in one year. Do you just the get second, to a point where you just like can kind of see a car, just like the way it's moving a little bit? You're just kind of like, that's got to be something well, else. Well, not really. You're just, you're stopping everything. You're stopping every violation that you can see. Right. And then you can tell, like when you come up and you, the way that they're talking, the smell, where their eyes are, the beverage, you know, you can, you just knew. And so you're just stopping pretty much any violation that's moving because you're, you're looking for it. And so, and so, um, that's kind of how, that's kind of how it would go. But what the police department was doing is they were rewarding people, um, for time off based on how many tickets you got and how many DUIs you got. So for example, every single DUI you got, you got an extra hour off time, but under the table. So I had 160 hours, like, because what they would do is they would work you to the bone. You'd work until three, four in the morning. And then they want you to go to court, uh, the next morning at like 8am. Because now once you start getting DUIs in the system, now you got to go to court on those DUIs. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't enough time to sleep. Anyway, so I did DUIs. Um, I was really good at it. I, I, I loved it. I loved riding a motorcycle. And then then things really changed. And I don't know. Do you know the story? No, I don't think this at this point, I don't. This doesn't sound familiar. Okay. Well, <laughs> 2000. 13 into 2014 um i there was five of us that they wanted 
to come in and celebrate on our motorcycles. They wanted us to come and celebrate in the LGBT parade. Oh, I do know this story. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so I look at the assignment and I was like, (laughs) okay, I said, I'll go, I'll go to the, I'll go protect the parade. Like I'll go and stand guard. And so I, but I'm not going to be in the parade. And so I switched spots with another guy who was on, on the uh, motorcycle squad who has already had a traffic spot and he actually owed me one. So I was like, bro, will you please be in the parade and I'll do your security spot? And he's like, yeah, no problem. So we switch. That's when all hell broke loose because then the word got up to one of the sergeants. Then the sergeant sent out an email an hour later, one hour later that says there will be no trading positions. Oh my gosh. Go figure. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, they know that I got a trade because they never would have sent that email because it's within our policy to trade spots as long as you get your shift covered. So then I had to write this email up the chain that says, Hey, you got to understand that I, I don't hate anybody. I, cause, because they wanted to know, well, actually first I said, Hey, we, I got a trade on this position, you know, cause they knew, they knew what I was doing. They knew that I didn't want to participate in the actual parade, right? You know, because they take the police and they, they do the, the celebration spins. Have you ever seen yeah. like motorcycle cops do the, yeah. like the celebration? I used to go to the Provo Freedom Festival parade like every year with my family growing up. Oh, cool. So that's what they wanted us to do at the gay parade. Um, and, and the chief of police at that time, he had gotten so bold as to putting the, the colors, the rainbow colors over the police uniform. No way. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just Google right now, Chief Burbank Gay Pride Parade and push images. That, um, that seems just, like, I mean... It's against the uniform. Yeah, like that that actually should be illegal, you'd think, right? It's against policy. What was right? the rest it's, of it, Chief Burbank what uniform? Gay, gay Pride Parade. Gay Pride Parade. And then just push, just push search. And you'll see the propaganda that was being pushed all the way back then. They had got the sticker. You know how like cops will give these little badge stickers to kids? They had turned that sticker into the gay flag on the badge. And they were giving that sticker to the little kids. So it was basically endorsed. This, I see the sticker in one of these images, yeah. Yeah, oh my yeah, goodness. yeah. So, and he's got like so, this whole rainbow bandana thing over his neck. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so now all the cops at the event are now wearing this thing. And if you don't wear the thing, they're wondering why isn't he wearing it? It's like Kramer on Seinfeld. He refuses to wear the pin. <laughs> I don't want to wear the pin. I don't want to wear the pin. What? Who refuses to wear the pin? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, how, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and so people don't understand that, that this, is, this is a form of religion. People can't see it. I was just going to um, say that. Like the, if you were to just flip this easily, and if it was not LGBT, if it was like CTR, if it was the angel Moroni pendants or things like that. Like there would be an outrage because of the whole separation of church and state. We understand that. We get it. But their church, which this is a church, make no mistake about that for whatever reason is the exception. And, And this is what I've been trying to get people to see that when the founders, when they talked about, when Jefferson talked about the wall of separation of church and state, he never intended for the religion and faith to be pulled out of the people, including representatives, including government officials. That's not what he meant. He meant 
that he that the government should not force one particular idea down on the people. And he was That's doing it what... and he was doing it more to protect religion more than anything. It wasn't to protect that conflation of the two. He was saying I don't want religion to have to have answer to anything government related. That's right. And so so I, I found a talk by Neil A. Maxwell that's called Meeting the Challenges of Today. It was given in 1978, so three years before I was born. But he said this. He said, We are now entering a period of incredible ironies. Let us cite but one of these ironies, which is yet in its subtle stages. We shall see in our time a maximum, if indirect, effort made to establish irreligion as the state religion. It's actually a new form of paganism that uses the carefully preserved and cultivated freedoms of Western civilization to shrink freedom even as it rejects the value essence of our rich Judeo-Christian heritage. And then he goes on, brothers and sisters, irreligion as the state religion would be the worst of all combinations. Its orthodoxy would be insistent and its inquisitors inevitable. Its paid ministry would be numerous beyond belief. Its Caesars would be insufferably condescending. Its majorities, when faced with clear alternatives, would make the Barabbas choice, as did a mob centuries ago when Pilate confronted them with the need to decide. <laughs> Talk about prophetic. Maxwell, um, he's had a few quotes like that that have popped up recently. I shared one actually on my podcast not too long ago where it's like, he that's today. That is literally today. And you almost wonder if like the reason... I mean, he, he talks about why he was given cancer. He talks about how he was able to learn authenticity through that, and he believes that that's what it was about. You almost wonder, though, if God was just preserving him because he would have died a heartbreak anyway. I mean, he saw this coming, and he was so empathetic to the plight of the saints. But Maxwell, I love He's one of my favorites all time. But. Oh, yeah. yeah. But the point that I'm trying to make is that this is a religion. And if you don't bow down to it, and it's not just the LGBT, right? It's the black, it's all of this far leftist Marxist. And I'll get into that, what I believe it is on a spiritual level, but it's this far leftist Marxist idea that if you don't bow down to this particular thing, you're the bigot, you're the, you're the homophobe, you're the racist. When in reality, the irony of all of this is it's the far radical it, and I don't just mean far radical left. I'm talking about the far right, right? There, we have politicians even, even in the state of Utah that are bowing down. Go ahead. What were you going to tell I was just going to say, I mean, it's not even really a spectrum in that sense. It's more of a circle. I, hear, I remember somebody kind of explaining it to me that way, where it's the, the far left and the far right really aren't existing on a spectrum. It's more of a circle, and they actually end up meeting each other in the middle and because they yes. become so ensconced in that whole idea of basically control is what we're talking about. And they're fighting against yes. agency. Anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but no, I, I love it because you're seeing politicians um, in the state of Utah. And if anyone knows who I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about that, that are, are subscribing to this idea that we are going to bow down to the state and what, or, or the CDC or whatever it is all in the name of safety. Yeah. And I think that it's uh, and and kindness. What do you think Satan was? What do you think Satan was saying in the pre-earth life? <laughs> Don't you think he was saying protection? He, he he was probably emphasizing things just like this. He was probably saying, "I'll take care of you. Don't you worry. You won't have to experience this pain that they're talking about. That's not necessary." Further, you won't even have to make a choice. Right. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. Yeah. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do, and and you, you're. 
none will be lost. None will be lost. And that seems like a pretty great plan, right? I mean, geez, I'll just be told what to do. And, and, and if I'm, if, if they, I happen to be wrong, well, then it's the leader's fault. Yeah. And I just, I can't subscribe to it. It doesn't make any sense in my mind. And the reason why some people, I believe, are so willing to just give up their agency is for some form of exoneration, whether it be mental, spiritual, emotional, they feel like because they don't have to make these decisions that they don't also have to live with the consequences, that those falls on, that falls on the heads of those that make those decisions for them. In fact, you see at the end of Mosiah, King Mosiah talks a lot about the, why, the reason why they shouldn't have kings. And he goes on this, this, he gives this huge speech and he says, the reason why you shouldn't have a king, and this is after he says, who do you want to be your king? And they say, all of, any of your sons, basically. All the sons say no. And he comes back to them and he says, you know what, I'm actually glad we're going through this because you shouldn't have a king. Because if you have a king, then the sins of the people fall more on the head of the king instead of you. And it should. You should have your agency and you should be able to act on it. And that's why he kind of sets up this whole series of judges, which I found fascinating. And Samuel says the same thing to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so long story. So, so going back, just so I don't miss this part, um, cause my brain jumps all over the oh, place. Please. Yeah, sorry. Um, they long story short, they pulled me into the office and they took my badge and my gun for discrimination oh my gosh. because I didn't want to celebrate in the gay parade in Salt Lake City, Utah. Irony is astounding. Boom. National news, right? Salt Lake Tribune puts out a fake story. Officer refuses gay pride parade, <laughs> which wasn't true. I told them that I would be there to celebrate, or I would be there to protect it. In the end, I said I'd still do it, right? Yeah. In the end, I was like, look, I'm just letting you know I'm very uncomfortable. I said, and I, I wrote a really diplomatic email. I said, I love all people. Like there is nobody on planet earth that I hate. Okay. There is nobody. I, I, I hate their politics and, and some of their ideology. Sure. But them as people, there's nobody that I hate. And I said, if this was an abortion parade, I said, what happens if the, what happens if the KKK wants, wants the police to come in? Because what, because then what they're saying is, well, it's, it's the freedom of everybody. So, Okay. If the KKK, because they do, there's still a KKK in the United States, mm -hmm. and they do have events. If they wanted the police to be in front of their parade, how can you say no to them? How can you say no to anybody at that point? That's why the police need to be neutral on these events. And so that that was unacceptable to them. I was all over national news for being a bigot. Um, and that was probably one of the... That was probably one of the hardest uh, trials that we've gone through as a family, because here I am, I'm like, God, I, I am trying, I'm trying to do what you want. I'm trying to follow my conscience and this is what's happening. And looking back now, it's one of the greatest blessings that's ever happened because I see, I see that Heavenly Father wanted me in different areas, right? I, he, he didn't want me in there. It was like, it was time. And I tell that story because so many people right now are afraid of, of losing their job for speaking out or for just living their conscience. I mean, you saw what happened with the vaccine, right? You saw what happened with, with the same kind of thing happened to so many people. You don't do this. You're going to lose your job. That's the consequence with no testing. There was no kind of what, what's going to happen. Uh, I've already had COVID. 
um, I have natural immunity. Doesn't matter. Even though Fauci, by the way, years ago is on camera, like on the news, saying nothing beats uh, natural immunity. Natural immunity, just getting the virus and beating it on your own. But that didn't matter because Satan had Satan had this whole thing like in check, right? I mean, this whole thing. This is very symbol spiritually symbolic, in my opinion. Okay, these are just my beliefs, my personal beliefs. Um, I believe it's very symbolic. And I can get into that, what I think. I'd love to share with some of your listeners like what I think is happening. Um, I I think that that all of this that's happening now, you know, the devil, do you know why the, de- the devil is cast out of heaven? Do you remember why? Uh, I mean, I, I'm assuming the war of agency and how his plan got rejected, essentially. Christ's plan got accepted, and they said, okay, then we're out. Rebellion. Yeah. He he was cast out for rebellion against the Father's order. There's a certain order in heaven, right? Right. Um, in every degree of the glory of God, there's a certain order. There's a certain frequency, if you will, a certain laws. And when you live or when you follow these laws— then you receive those blessings to those laws. There came a point where Satan, he could not follow that order. It was a a united type order, right? Commandments, voluntarily following, right? And he was cast out for rebellion. So what I believe that Satan has done is he has created his kingdom on earth. And it's the it mirrors, it mimics God's kingdom, but, but in a way that's, so perverse because everything that he does is all by force. It's all by fear. It's all by manipulation, coercion. Um, if you don't do it, um, what's going to happen to you? So what I believe is I believe God has commandments up here. And then I believe Satan has demandments. And so I think this whole cancel culture is the exact opposite of what happened to Satan up there. So he started his kingdom and in his kingdom, you will do exactly as you're told. And if you don't, guess what happens to you? You're out. You're, you're canceled. Yeah. So I think cancel culture is literally a mimic of what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And that's why I tell people, don't be afraid to be canceled. Because, because when you get out of that system and, and rely on God and let him start taking control of your life, I believe that's what Jesus was preaching. I believe he was preaching, consider the lilies. Get out of Babylon. Let me provide. That's the whole point. That's what Zion is. Anyway, I could go on and on about that topic. but And I could let I, you. I get it. <laughs> totally get it. So I just think it's a spiritual thing that's happening. And so everybody that's afraid right now, I'm afraid. I don't want to lose my job. 85% of people hate their jobs anyway. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I mean it. That's yeah, true. Yeah. So what are you afraid of? Like, what are you afraid of? Are you really afraid of, of losing your job? My whole thing is like, I believe you're, you're losing a lot more than that. Oh, absolutely. Um, your dignity. Your faith. Your... Eventually. I mean, it, you lose your faith. If you lose sight of who you are and what you're dependent on truly, I mean, it's going to take everything from you. And that the bottom line is Satan wants to take away your spiritual direction. That's the That's end right. goal. That's right. And he does that in the worst kind of ways. He manipulates, he he coerces, he shames. He may I mean when we started doing these rallies, so 
I don't know if you, do you know much about what we did during the pandemic at all? I watched the documentary. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. So yeah. So when that happened, we were, we were one of the first rallies in America, right? Um, we were one of the first, uh, when, cause I got a call from, you know, one of my friends that's still in the police department. He's like, dude, we're going on calls because the mayor of Salt Lake has set up a snitch line. If you're not social distancing, you can call the police. And you even called on your own to like, Oh yeah. 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 I turned myself yourself. In. Yeah. Yeah. I turned myself in because I had this idea. We're going to do a big rally. And so that's kind of where I was awakened on a whole nother level because I'm like, you guys, this is not good. Like I, at the, from day one, like who was, was it go bear from the jazz yeah. that, that he's the reason I, why they basically canceled the NBA that day. When I saw that and all that stuff started happening, I had this very distinct impression. We are under attack. We're under attack. That's what kept coming to me. And I'm just like, this isn't good. This isn't good. This isn't good. This doesn't feel right. None of it. Um, but the way that it was pitched was that this is the best thing we can do is shut down the best thing that we can possibly do. It's just two weeks, two weeks. It's just two weeks. That's it. Yeah. And if everybody listens. And so I, I had this idea to do this rally and I, and I was nervous, dude, like, because I had heard that the police chief was going to arrest people that go to the rally. I had heard that the virus really could be that bad, but I was like, it doesn't matter how bad it is. We have to gather. Like when the government's telling you that you can't do something that is within your God given rights, you better do it immediately. I mean, the thing that fathers would all be turning around over in their graves, right? Hearing something like that coming from the country that they've helped establish and so you know we we gathered yeah no i mean i in fact i did want to talk about that documentary um more in a second but i what what you're saying the the importance behind making sure we were gathering in that moment um flying in the face of what everybody else was saying reminded me and this might be a little bit tangentially related but i did have i did want to ask you kind of your thoughts on this we even had President Nelson, who I love, by the way, and I absolutely sustain. I'm sure you're. I'm sure you do too. Not to speak for you, but you know, it seems like that's kind of you're along the same lines. I came out on my podcast and said it's great that he's setting that example. I personally do not feel the need to get vaccinated, and I still haven't. Oh, you're um, talking about the letter. Yeah, the letter and him on social media showing the vaccination and everything, right. and being gl- good gl- global citizens. I right. came out and I said. I don't think he was speaking prophetically. And I understand that just by saying that you're setting up kind of a precedent of being able to pick and choose when you, when you think he might be, which is why it's so close, important to be tied to the spirit and let God guide you in your own decisions in some respects. But then also the prophet trumps all that because he's the only one that has keys revelation for the church. I did not feel like he was saying, everybody go get vaccinated. I didn't feel like that. Well, I think it's, I think why a, a lot of people that, you know, it didn't rub their spirits right, <laughs> if you might say, yeah. where everybody's like, whoa, 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 I believe, so this is just my personal belief. I believe that they, um, church leaders, they, they did what they believed was the best thing. So intention goes a long way with me, right? I believe their intent was good. However, 
men can make really big mistakes with their intention, right? I mean, if you go out through through all uh, the history of the church, even back in the Old Testament, prophets made mistakes all the time. But for in our culture, we don't like to say that because we're not we we haven't had these discussions, right? We haven't we haven't talked about it out in the open, like, hey, you know, there were some times when Joseph Smith made some pretty big mistakes. You know, he tried to open up a bank that failed, lost 116 pages that failed. Angel told him three different times, don't sell these for money. Right. Which he didn't do. But he didn't. What I'm trying to say is but he wasn't allowed to touch them for that reason. Yeah. Well, God knew that he had problems. Right. How many times did Brigham Young make some big mistakes? I mean, look into some of that history. He, he, He taught some pretty wild doctrine that is not true. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, I shouldn't say doctrine. He, t- he right. taught yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that just wasn't true. And mm-hmm. so then people think, well, they're fallen. And what I'm saying is that both things can be true at once. They can say things that aren't correct, and they can be prophets of God for the church that administer the keys of the kingdom. And people can't wrap their mind around it. Well, but, sorry, keep going. Go well, um, well, actually, go ahead. Go ahead, because well, I, I, I have it written down. I was just going to say... To me, what's funny is that I look at that and I'm actually comforted by it because yes. to, to me, that's like, you know what? You don't have to be perfect in order to be prophet. Not saying that I'm like running for profit at some point, right? Obviously, it's a joke. But um, just to even hold any callings, to be considered a leader in any form within the church, I don't have to be perfect. And because thank goodness, because I know more than anyone how far from perfect I really am. And so hearing these stories, and I, I mean, I remember hearing President Monson had a, some tough times controlling his anger. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people's first inclination is to be like, how dare he? He's the prophet. And it's like, no, thank goodness. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not celebrating the, the fact that he has some clear deficiencies that he needs to work on. I'm celebrating the fact that God can really establish an amazing church through an imperfect man. And that's basically mm-hmm. what you're talking about. And I do like kind of the parallel that you're drawing there with that very well could have been what President Nelson had also succumbed to in that moment. And you know what? Knowing his medical history and the culture that he came from, where they did accomplish amazing things, I'm sure it was a lot easier for him to just embrace this wholesale without maybe looking beyond just that. Uh, what, what if what if God just simply said, yeah, tell them to take it. Let's see what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm serious. What if he really did get a directive to take it just to see what we're going to do, just to see how we're going to treat each other? Have you ever thought about that? No, I actually didn't. That one didn't cross my mind, yeah. I'll be honest. I mean, you just never know. But the whole point that I'm trying to make is that, is that we have to... Okay, uh, I don't know how I'm going to say this any other way than just saying it. I believe in degrees of heaven. So if you're listening to the podcast and you don't believe in the Book of Mormon, whatever. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 40, I believe, it talks about the degrees of glory, right? And I believe in the highest degree of glory, that is where God lives. Who, who do you, Harper, who do you hang out with? Who do you try to surround yourself with? I'm just asking you a question, so with purposes of what I'm going to say good, next. Good who people, do you try people that help me be better, that realize my, help me realize my potential and things like that? People that are sometimes better than you, right? Absolutely, yeah. People that uplift you, mm-hmm. people that, that inspire you, people that are like, wow, not not people that are just going to tell you exactly what you want to hear all the time. Right. 
Sometimes you're like, hey, dude, I need help with this. Oh, yeah, you're being an idiot. Absolutely. Right? Those are the people that you want to be around you. And I believe God is the same way. In other words, in the celestial kingdom, I believe that it is going to be filled with leaders, people that know how to make decisions, people that don't need to be told what to do. Uh, uh, Brigham Young said this. He said uh, back in Journal of Discourses, he said, I'm more afraid that this people have so much confidence in their leaders that they will not inquire for themselves of God, whether they are led by him. And then he goes on to say in another part, if God should suffer Joseph, or you could put prophet in there, to lead the people astray, it would be because they ought to be led astray. It would be because they deserved it. You see, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that there, I believe there comes a time in eternity where you have to come to a place to be able to make decisions on your own. And you can't be told what to do, even if it's good. For example, I'm right now I'm looking out my window, okay, from my office, and I can see my neighbor's house right now. If the, the, the head of that house came over and knocked on my door and said, Eric, I think that you should drink uh, eight ounces uh, of water right now. You're, everybody needs to have water right now. In fact, I think you need to take some vitamins now too. What would you be thinking to this man? I'd be like, what? Are you trying to poison me? Like, what's going on here? No, not poison. You'd be thinking, dude, this isn't your role. Right. Everything you're saying is great. Well, you need to exercise too. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, sure. I get that. But what are you doing right now? Yeah. And I think that's how a lot of people felt because I believe God has given husband and wife stewardship over the health and safety spiritually and physically over their families. That is your stewardship. And it is not wise and it is not good for another man to come over and try to take responsibility of that stewardship. Period. The end. In other words, I don't believe it's within the order of the celestial kingdom of God for a king to tell another king what to do with his kingdom. I mean, that's, there's a lot of reason to believe that. That's fascinating. I've never really thought about it that way. Well, that's because we're supposed to become like him. Right. He teaches correct principles and we're supposed to become, we're supposed to govern to ourselves. Govern ourselves. It's real, it's yeah. real simple. And, and so, you know, and there's multiple scriptures I can show you in Doctrine and Covenants where it's not meet to be commanded in all things. And it's like, look, 58, this 26, whole, 27, that was my missionary plaque. <laughs> <laughs> well, this whole thing, you know, it, it's so unnecessary that we are dividing ourselves and how many, you know, church leaders from Bishop all the way up just completely shamed people for not following this medical, this, for not masking, the, not social distancing. The, the whole, yeah. Do you remember when the letter came out to the Utah Saints about masking? Do you remember that? Yeah, vaguely. I can't remember the content specifically, though. Well, it just basically said, wear a mask everywhere you go, including outside. <laughs> oh, gosh. From the Utah Authority. So now it was like, whoa, okay, let's break this down. Where did that come from? Because a lot of people in Utah thought, well, that's from God. From God, yeah. There's no way. Okay, so now my next question is, why didn't Idaho get that letter? <laughs> why didn't why didn't Colorado get that letter? Why didn't 
Nevada get that letter? Are we so special in Utah that God only wants to protect us with a mask in Utah? Nope. Turns out the government asked the leaders of the Utah Authority to send out a letter. Or, or to the point that you made in your documentary... Can I call it your documentary? Is it your like? Did you? Well, produce yeah, that? I mean, it's a pretty yeah. So it's I, I co-produced it with a guy that kind of went around and filmed everything, and so yeah. it's on my website. It was very it's well all... done, and I'm not just saying that. I was I was like captivated from the get go. It's efficiently done. It's about an hour long. Anybody, everybody should go check it out. And we'll we'll promote that a little bit more. Yeah, I'm the I'm the executive producer on it. So, but back to what you were saying though, you pointed that out in your own documentary, which <laughs> legitimately, no joke. I'm not even I'm not even trying to flatter you or anything. Uh, when you said this, I, I audibly laughed out loud is when you're like, apparently this virus and you're deadpan, like you're just looking right into the camera like this, this virus is so smart <laughs> and it has, and it has been able to adapt itself so well that it can pass right over the lagoon, uh, <laughs> the park, the lagoon, whatever that thing's called, the little, whatever, uh, amusement park right over into Tooele where we were having our get together because Lagoon had opened like right around the same time you were trying to do, you were doing your gathering. And when you said that, I was like, Oh my gosh, that was hilarious. That, that was like comedic. That timing was incredible. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, this yeah. virus is brilliant. It can jump over Walmart, but then land on the Ma and Pa shop. It can jump over shops, wiping them out. Yeah. Yeah. Home Depot. The, the, people don't understand like the, the, the master plan that went behind this, like, yeah. I don't know if you if I don't know if you've put this together but when when the Nazis went after the Jews a lot of people think that they only went after the Jews because of their race their religion and that's and not true. You point this out in the documentary and it was brilliant. Yeah, keep going. They they went after the Jews because the Jews had the money. The Jews were the ones that were the entrepreneurs. They were the ones that were the 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 forward-thinking capitalists, right? Because they were starting to get powerful and they didn't like it. And so think about America now. What makes up of over 50% of our economy? Small business. Right. So if you can crush small business in America, it's over. And so I believe that the powers that be, the sick satanic powers that rule the governments, um, they're the ones that had this plan to begin with. That's why you could only go to Walmart. That's why you could only go to Home Depot. Everybody's getting corralled to Walmart yeah, to go like, get their groceries. You just zoom out for a second and you're kind of like, what? What? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a fantastic point. And um, you, uh, sorry, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but the what I was going to say is like with the Jews and the connection you made there with Nazi Germany, I thought was brilliant. And it made me kind of think who understands freedom better than most on average. And that's people that really understand capitalism. And so those two things really do coexist. And so it does make sense that if you're really wanting to control the masses, you're going to try and take out those that love capitalism more than anything. That made perfect sense. Well, in my mind. well and, and law and order, like moral laws. And so, you know, the, the Nazis, they went after the police too. They went after the police. That's how they were. That's how they brought in this, this giant military because they crushed the thin blue line. And so now let's think about what they did in March, April. Do you remember? Uh, which year? April, Mar March, April of 2020. Uh, oh, Black Lives Matter, all that stuff. Black yeah. Yeah. Defund, defund, the, defund police. the police. That's right. Dude, that's it's right. the same 
it's the same pattern, bro. And, and this isn't just, this is, I'm telling you like my personal beliefs, this is so unbelievably demonic. Like everybody believe, okay, we believe in God. We believe in God and he's all powerful and he's in and through all things. You don't think that Satan is in and all through thing, in and through things in his kingdom. Do people really not believe that he is incredibly intelligent when it comes to the darkness? Like, like very, very calculated. People don't, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about how unbelievably calculated the adversary is. But he is very calculated. Um, in fact, I think it was, um, God, I'm trying to think of what quote that was. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because I'll let you talk for a second because I want to, I want to find this quote that's, that's really powerful from one yeah, of the Yeah, go ahead. Hey, take your time to find that. Um, I don't, I mean, in terms of the, what you were specifically saying with the, with how smart Satan is, I mean, it goes back to kind of what you were talking about. You have to be smart to mimic something so great. And I've, my mom pointed that out at a very young age for me, is that the telestial world or telestial living is basically a mimicry of celestial living. And that's because Satan likes to have that front facing, like looks all glowy and showy and appealing. And it can even be somewhat representative of what a celestial life may look like. But in reality, telestial living is what he wants people to adopt because he can control them a lot more. That's right. Yeah. And so this is what, this is what Joseph uh, Fielding Smith said. He said, Satan has control now, no matter where you look, he is in control. Even in our own land, he is guiding the governments as far as the Lord will permit him. That is why there is so much strife, turmoil, and confusion all over the earth. One mastermind is governing the nations. It is Satan himself. That really hits home to me because, because when you sit and think about how you think about the school systems, you think about corporations, you think about BYU. Oh gosh, man. I went to BYU. I've, I've you think so about how the adversary has infiltrated into these institutions so brilliantly. Yeah. So brilliantly. And it's all in the name of what? Usually love. It's my belief that, that Satan, he, what he does is he mimics God. Like he'll take whatever God does and he'll mimic it. Right. He's a master counterfeit. And so in Noah's time, in Noah's time, do you, before the flood came, the, obviously the flood came because the world was so wicked. And I believe that we are kind of a type and a shadow to Noah's time before the fire. Um, the world itself had to be baptized by water. And I believe the world itself needs to be baptized by fire next. And that's why that's what we're about to, that's what, that's what's about to happen. That's, uh, um, that's looking forward to that. Well, I'm not, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but the point I'm trying to make is that after the, after the flood, God sent a rainbow and it was a covenant. It was a sign of love. Like, Hey, I'm here. Like things are good. And so, so now what I I've never made that is, connection by the way. So, 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 so listen, so, so Satan, I believe he has taken that sign. That same symbolism. He has flooded the earth with it all in the name of what? Love. 
Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Um, I, so in fact, I've talked about this on my own podcast. I, in fact, I wrote a blog post. I wrote a blog post right around the time when BYU had the rainbow. Why? Because the narrative that I started seeing was, and these were some from like some top people that had a pretty strong influence. And, and some of these, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess these, some of these people are like good fighters in the right ways. I don't want to call out anyone specifically. And they've said some things that I'm like, you know what? That's good. That's a great point. But one of these people also said, I don't get it, BYU. Like, just let it, just let love win. Like, why can't you be more loving? Things like that. Uh-huh. And so, and then, no joke, that same person, and I did highlight this person in my blog, and I just used their Twitter handle. I just used their own words. And I was using that as kind of like a, that was the blueprint I was going for. The second tweet within an hour had said, I can't wait until gay marriage is fully adopted in the church. And mm-hmm. people are just going to say, oh, it was just new revelation. No, you just had a prophet that finally wasn't homophobic. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, you know, I'll be honest, I don't feel a lot of love from that second tweet. And it started to dawn on me that love is extremely relative and subjective with the way they use it. And it, mm-hmm. and I started, I started writing out kind of that whole post that like, how have we started to adopt this concept that love is only, it only, it doesn't matter how it's portrayed. It's only matter how it's received. Mm-hmm. That's how we've defined it. We live in a society now where it's like, I don't feel love from you, so you're hateful. And it's kind of like, who's to say that BYU, by doing what they did, isn't saying, hey, listen, we do love you guys. We, like, we love you guys. We, we want the best for you all. But no, we're not going to allow this to be celebrated on our campus because we have a certain core values. Just because we have core values that we want to maintain consistency with does not mean we don't love you. And I find that fascinating. Well, it's because they don't understand what love is. Right. Um, I got a call from, so I don't know if you saw, um, one of our call to act, I did a call to action on my Instagram that was about the Farmington junior high school. Um, they had several of the teachers or counselors, whoever it was, they started to put the pronouns up on their name tags as you enter into the classroom. Right. So Mrs. Anderson, she, her, hers. So I saw that and I was like, Oh no, no. So I did a I did a call to action and I just I said, hey, politely give Farmington Junior High School a call or Farmington Junior High a, a phone call and just let them know. Not here in Utah. Hundreds and hundreds of people called. They removed them, dude. They oh, removed the, the placards. And so KSL gets a hold of the story. They call me. And they were like, Well, you know, someone consider this uh hateful. And I said, well, it's interesting you'd say that. I said, because I believe that, that and, and of course they didn't publish this part, but I said, I believe that, that love is truth and truth is love and love is light. And, and I understand we live, we live in a time where, where light is darkness and darkness is light, but that's the most loving thing we can do. I said, when you have people in positions of, cause a lot of people say, well, what's the big deal? It's just a word. Okay, well, if it's just a word, then why are you putting it on there? Why are you putting it there? Because when you have p- people in positions of authority that is pushing this idea on little kids that they can somehow be a different sex than what they were born, their God-given birthright, um, 
when you start pushing it into in, from teachers, we're in a world of trouble because it is a religion. And I told him this. I said, look, uh, I can't remember the guy, Mike, Mike Anderson, I think his name was. I said, it's a, it's its own religion. I said, what if I said, what if uh, a teacher put on uh, Mrs. Anderson uh, or sorry, sorry, Sister Anderson on their placard mm. and underneath their pronouns were I'm a child of God. How would the school react then? Is that okay? Because that's essentially what you're saying. Anything goes, right? Well, no, of course it wouldn't be okay because now you're talking about God. And so, so anyway, long story short, I guess what I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain that love is truth. And the most loving thing that we can do right now is raise our voices against this, this idea that, that a little kid, a little boy can turn into a little girl or a man can turn into a woman or whatever, if we don't start raising our voices and in, in, in love, in actual love, uh, we're going to lose it that quickly. We're going to lose it. Well, it's funny you say that too, because that makes me think like, what are they attacking as well within the last few years? They're attacking the very idea of what truth even is. And they're trying to make it subjective. They literally say, live your truth. Which isn't a thing. That's literally impossible. There's no such thing as your truth. Truth is not subjective. Yeah, yeah. it's the truth. And so, truth. and I think that's spiritual too. Um, Absolutely. Harper, I do. I think it's, I think it's a spiritual, um, it's kind of when you just sit back and look at, I always try to see what the devil's doing. I'm like, okay, what is the devil doing with this? I, I always am asking that question to God. I'm like, what's the devil doing? I don't know if I'm right. So to your, to your listeners, I'm not telling you that this is the truth, but I'm telling you my perspective and my opinion, okay? I believe that God wants us to become like him, okay? L quite literally, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, okay? That's what I believe we are destined to be, with an identity, with a destiny, with purpose, choices, as men and women, or in other words, kings and queens, with our God-given rights, our God-given eternal rights, okay? On the other hand, I believe Satan wants us to become like him, which is what? No identity, no destiny, no, no purpose, agency. no no, no gender. Oh, I didn't think about that. I know, I know. <laughs> that's what's, I'm telling you, dude. I, I'm telling you, like, I believe that's why this transgender movement, it's very, very demonic because I believe that Satan doesn't have body parts. And that's the whole reason why he's getting people prepared for his kingdom. I know that's hard to hear. No, that's fascinating, though. I mean, I love I love being I love having these type of conversations. and I'm, <laughs> I'm all about putting it out there. People, I mean, everybody knows within five minutes of talking to me that I'm talking about all this kind of stuff, too. So, that's, <laughs> so I, about it. I, look. So, so somebody gets triggered on that, right? Mm -hmm. I love you. Okay. I love you. I love you enough to tell you that you were born to become like God and God did not make a mistake. That's, and that's, he did not make a mistake. They have the exact same potential as anybody else. And that's yes. a very loving philosophy as well, is that you can become like a God. I, I completely agree with that. And here, the whole time, I thought the transgender movement was just for men to control more women, which I do think there is a there is a relationship there. But I, I like yours a lot, too. That's fascinating because I never thought about Satan not having a gender and how that's all kind of ties into that as well. He doesn't have body parts and he never will. Right. 
And yeah. so he's trying to get misery so, loves company. I guess let me, I, I don't know if this would be considered a challenge or not, but let me ask you this. Do souls have genders then or spirits? Absolutely. That's in the family proclamation that God created male and female in the pre-mortal world. So Satan was technically a creation of God though. Absolutely. But so, what I'm saying is that it never came to fruition. Okay. It All never right, came yeah. to, it was just the spiritual body that never came to fruition on the physical. All right. That's fair. Yeah. Because the body is, I mean, that you can't have a spirit without a body and a body without a spirit and live in eternity. That's right. So that's and so our, yeah. our DNA, like we, we are men and women, uh, kings and queens in our physical and spiritual DNA. Yeah. I like that. Um, let me shift topics here a little, a little bit, because I wanted to ask you this too. This is something I wasn't planning on asking. This I have kind of, in fact, it's amazing that I kind of threw out some questions that I definitely wanted to cover. We've already kind of answered all of them anyway, just by talking, which I love. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard the? I believe it was Heber C. Kimball, who gave kind of a uh, spiritual like revelation that he. It was this. It was. I guess it's not called revelation, but it's more like a a vision. He had a vision. Um, and he was, I want to say one of Brigham Young's counselors, I think early on. And he had said that Salt Lake city, and I have the quote somewhere, Salt Lake city is going to become one of the most wicked. Yes. Uh So I have a theory on that. First, I want to hear what you think. Like, do you believe that? And if so, like, how do you think that starts to look? It's looking exactly as it is now. So I mean, look at the look at the church itself. Like you have literally a they're starting to become a divide, just on these topics within the church. Like there there are people in the gospel of Jesus Christ that really believe okay that abortion's okay. They really believe that gay marriage is totally fine within the kingdom of God, or that it's only a matter of time till the church adopts it. They 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 also believe that that socialism and communism is is the higher way is the uh, law of consecration which drives right. me nuts. That's so so we're already seeing it. It's already here, and 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 that's that that has nothing to do with the the crazy radical uh, leftist Salt Lake City itself. I'm talking about within our own people, within our own people. Yeah. So I think, well, for one, you're spot on. Absolutely. It's infiltrating the very discussions we have in Sunday school. And it's fascinating to see who is there to just try and stir the pot and talk about these type of things. But I think it parallels the Book of Mormon amazingly. Mm -hmm. I had a bishop when I lived in Texas for a bit point out that the, all the the wars in the Book of Mormon. And I think I even verified this, except for maybe one. I can't remember which one. But basically all the wars between the Nephites and the Lamanites were always started by a former Nephite that went to the Lamanites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he pointed that out to me, and I took that even a little bit further because I tied in Heber C. Kimball's prophecy here. And I actually covered this on a podcast one time. I was talking about how how does that come to, to pass that Salt Lake City, a city founded by the saints, becomes the most, the most evil in the world, which, and it is happening for sure. It's still got a little bit to go to be the most, I would think, but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you just have to check off a few boxes and, and then it's there. But, um, 
My point is that I think it's because what you're starting to see is the the three groups that exist in the Book of Mormon, you're also seeing in Salt Lake more than any other city in the entire world. That's what makes Salt Lake unique. You have Nephites, Lamanites, and then former Nephites in the Book of Mormon. In Salt Lake City, you have members of the church, former members of the church, and non-members of the church. Mm-hmm. And honestly, non-members of the church and members of the church can coexist pretty well, and they have been for years. There were really There was really no tension for a long time. And it wasn't until these former members of the church start stirring the pot. They leave, and they have a huge chip on their shoulder, and they want to take over the... They either want to take over the church, which, by the way, that's really happening on a large scale. And if you want to sit tight after our recording, I want to actually ask you about a couple of those things, too. I don't want to really do it on the podcast. If you just take a couple minutes to to uh, entertain sure. me. But... Um, you're seeing that happen in the church, as you had said, but then also I think what makes Heber C. Kimball's prophecy so prescient is the fact that you have those former members that really are just like, they're just trying to stir up those that really didn't really care before. They're not members of the church, but now they're kind of like, oh yeah, I guess the church does have some spite and they do have some... They're unbaptizing people. They're putting, like one of the biggest booths I heard from this last LGBT whatever was the Church of Satan downtown. I've like heard about that. That's right. They're unbaptizing people. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, speaking of the Book of Mormon, because the Book of Mormon was written for our day, right? Mm-hmm. It it was literally written for our day. It wasn't written for them back then. It was written for us. So, And I've heard that 3rd Nephi is a type, a type and a shadow to our day. So those of you that aren't familiar with what happens in 3rd Nephi, it's, in the, it's on the American continent. Um, it's... It's right before Christ comes. Um, chapter 4. Do you have your scriptures with you? Yeah, I do. Right here. So go to chapter 4, verse 16. And I want you to read that out loud. Sorry to put you on the spot. but <laughs> You're good. Third Nephi. I mean, I was just reading in this not too long ago. And you're right. I mean, in fact, I think one of the prophets recently, I mean, maybe not recently, but it said like, if you want to know what it's like, actually, I think they're referring to Helaman now that I think about it. But if you want to know what it's like in the last days, read Helaman, read Third Nephi, like right up until Christ. Okay, comes. so so Third Nephi chapter four verse sixteen. Read that out loud. And in the twenty and first year, they did not come up to battle, but they came up on all sides to lay siege round about the people of Nephi, for they did suppose that if they should cut off the people of Nephi from their lands and should hem them in on every side, and if they should cut them off from all their outward privileges that they could cause them to yield themselves up according to their wishes. Read the top line of 16 one more time. And in the 20 and first year. (laughs) Okay, now I want you to slide over to chapter 6 and go to verse 14 and then read that out loud. I have a highlight on this one. And thus there became a great inequality in all the land, insomuch that the church began to be broken up, yea, insomuch that in the 30th year of the... The church was broken up in all the land, save it were among a few of the Lamanites who were converted into the true faith, and they would not depart from it, for they were firm and steadfast, and they were firm. I mean, I guess okay. we, either, your point is taken. Yeah. Okay, so the year 21. And 30. And 30. Let's think about some global agendas. It's pretty fascinating. So you think... You think 20, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just pointing out the fact that in the 21st year... They did not come up to battle, but they came on all sides to lay siege round round about God's people. 
that they, if they could cut them off from all of their privileges. So think about what happened in year 21 here. Container ships being cut off. Now food is starting to get cut off. All of these things happened. Now in, in 3 Nephi chapter 4, verse 18, it says, For behold, it was an advantage to the Nephites, for it was impossible for the robbers to lay siege sufficiently long to have any effect upon the Nephites because of their much provision, which they had laid up in store. Food this story. is why we have to be prepared. Yeah. Um, um, and then, so then you go to chapter 7, which is interesting. You've got chapter uh, verses 2 and 3. They did separate one from another into tribes. So this is after the great inequality in all the land, right? Big inequality. They separate one another into tribes, every man according to his kindred and friends, and thus they did destroy the government of the land. You see what's happening worldwide? I mean, I can't remember. Was it Singapore? Not Singapore. What was? Where was this place? They just completely ransacked the whole... Uh, videos of like all the people going in. And I've just seen those videos. I'm trying to remember which country that was as well. But I yeah, it was, it was Southeast Asia. Yeah. I, I just going in and completely taken, taken over. Um, and then if you look at chapter eight, tempests, earthquakes, fires, this is in the heading, uh, whirlwinds, physical upheavals attest the crucifixion of Christ. Okay. So this is in about, about 33. Okay. And then if you look at chapter nine, guess what happens? The great city of Zarahemla. What do you mean the great city of Zarahemla? I have caused to be burned with fire. I have burned with fire in the inhabitants. Verse 4. And the great city of Moroni I have caused to sink to the depths. What? The, uh, hold on. What do you mean? I thought God was nice. Why would he sink his own people? I thought he was kind. You see what I'm trying to say? Like these were God's cities. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to say is that we, yes, yes, we have the restoration. Yes, 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 we do. But are we really listening? Did we do what God wanted us to do? Did we build Zion? Or did we build Babylon? These are questions I, I have. Are we so special that we are going to be preserved when the Savior comes again? I know these are hard, things that are hard to hear, but I'm just saying like, he sunk 16 cities in chapter nine. Boom, 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 boom. And how many people, do you remember how many people were left as the remnant? Do you remember? Does it actually give a number? I would not remember I, if it I did. I thought it was 2,500. For some reason, I'm thinking it was like 2,500, but it was wait until, you know, it was, there was a time. If I can remember right, I could be wrong, but if I can remember, it was like another year until Christ actually came. And so you hear all these people, oh, Jesus, come. Come, Jesus, come save us. And it's like, hold on a second. Uh, I don't think we have a clue how how humble we need to be before that happens. Uh, I think that's fair. Anyway, I I could talk about this stuff all the time, and I'm not telling you that what I'm saying is true. I'm just I I just know that we are we are in the last days. That is what I do know. And that we are supposed to be prepared, not only physically, but more importantly, spiritually. And, and how we do that, in my opinion, is that we need to repent. We need to repent of our sins. Every single one of us, we are, we are all guilty. No matter who you are, no matter how, to, no matter how special you think you are, um, we have something that we're struggling with. Some, we're dealing with something, right? God gives us weaknesses so that we will be humble. And so my hope is that we can prepare ourselves 
both physically and spiritually for what's coming and that we can try to stay together as brothers and sisters versus separating into all these crazy tribes that just want to hurt each other. And this has been very enlightening, which as, as I thought it would be and extremely entertaining. I've had a blast <laughs> and no, I'm serious. Y'all better be those listening. Y'all better be. I'll tell you what. Um, so I got a couple of questions I want to kind of ask as we close out here, because just they're a little bit more random, but um, I wasn't at, I wasn't planning on asking this just kind of this outside, just out of nowhere. But I do think it's kind of funny. I'm curious what you think. So I'm single. I'm a single man. Um, obviously we need to hook to... you up. What's so that? Need... How, how old are you? Because I'll, I'll start. Okay, so I'm going to start working this. I got to figure this out. <laughs> okay. I, was, I definitely wasn't asking that, but um, by all means. Um, so I was curious what you thought because I, I had this thought the other day too. I actually feel like I would prefer to marry somebody who fit i'm not even necessarily like who fits more along the lines of like conservative values than somebody just in the church like in other words i would say this if they were in the church but didn't have strict conservative values that to me doesn't work if they're in the church and have conservative values love it all for it because i want to get married in the church i want to get married in the temple i'm curious what you think is that a stupid philosophy because i actually feel like it's easier to talk to a conservative and and show them just how reasonable the church is and the truth and the veracity of all of it, let the spirit guide them and all that, then it would be to convince a liberal or a moderate to become conservative. Yeah. Well, I, I think the, the thoughts that come to my mind are, are do, do they love God and do they love their neighbor? Do they live on those first, those first two, um, the first great commandment, second great commandment, because once you have that, and if you're, you know, you're attracted to that person, all things are possible. And so, so that's what I think about. Um, because naturally light, light attracts light. You know what I'm saying? And Absolutely. usually people in the last yeah. days, people in the last days, especially now there's, there's, it's separating and it's not just the church. I'm talking about this separation between light and darkness is happening, happening everywhere. Remember, there are save but two churches only, the church of God and the church of the devil. Yeah. And in my opinion, the church of God is anything that is light, anything that is true. And pretty soon, anything that is light and anything that is true is not going to be able to be in the kingdom of the devil. It's going to get cast out, which is what I think First Nephi chapter 8 is all about. I believe that that is a physical representation, not only spiritual, but a physical representation, the, the vision of the tree of life, of Babylon and Zion, of, or in other words, and remember, these are opinions, I'm not telling you this is true, the united order versus the new world order. Because I do believe that the, the, the new world order is the devil's duplicate of the united order. So in other words, instead of, instead of voluntary love, sharing, compassion, the devil's order is going to call forth coercion, manipulation, force, fear. And that's the two, that, that's what I think is happening in that, in that depiction, in that dream. You've got two orders. And I believe that the united order is going to rise out of light and truth from all God's children all over the world. Look at the Canadian 
trucker, for example. Oh, yeah, Do you remember yeah. what happened there? That was unbelievably inspired. Yeah. So, so, and that's how the gathering of the house of Israel is going to happen is because of light and truth. So if on your quest to find your, your, your mate, look for light and look for truth and, and it will automatically lead to Jesus. I love that. And I'm not, and I'm not just saying that like the light and truth, I, cause that is binary, right? And a lot of people would say, well, you can't just say in the church or just conservative or whatever, cause it's not that binary, but when you boil it down to those two, this most simple constructs, light and truth versus darkness. And love. And, yeah, love. and love. Light, Absolutely. truth, and love, it's all the same. And that's who Jesus was. Yeah. And that's why, that's why they went after him. Because yeah. he spoke truth. He spoke yeah. love. He was the truth. He was light. And he, and he was love. Yeah. And so that's what happens. And so when you do the right thing and when you, when you stand up for what's true and what's right in this dark world, you are going to get it. But that's the test. Yeah, that's right. You know, so, we chose spiritually. We chose spiritually up in heaven and now we have to choose physically. And my, to, to, to finish, I, I want to talk about please. one last thing. Is that all right? Oh, absolutely. Please. No, I mean, your, yeah, your, it's been amazing. Your rights, your rights, do not come from the government. Your rights. You say this at the beginning of the documentary. Your rights don't come from the Constitution. The Constitution does not grant you your rights. Your rights come from God. Your rights aren't just for America. You have eternal rights. And if you give those rights up to any degree, if you give up your God-given rights in the name of safety, niceness, kindness, anything, if you give those rights up physically on this earth, you are losing them spiritually. Do not give up your God-given rights, period. Because those are eternal rights. The right to life, the right to pursue your happiness, the right to liberty. The kingdom of God is liberty. Never forget it. Makes me think of uh, Esau, by the way. Like, I wonder what the parallels are there because he sells his birthright for a mess of pottage, which mm-hmm. it's got to be like, you'd be curious kind of like what transpired from there for his life. And we know that he was able to forgive his brother, whether or not yeah. that was even his choice. Or the, his dis- He should have forgiven Jacob anyway because it was all ordained of God. So that didn't really matter. But he did anyway, and they had a good relationship, and that was good. But, um, yeah, it does make yeah. me think that these are like universal... Laws. Yes, and that's why we cannot give up America because America is the promised land. Yeah. The Constitution, we cannot allow that to go away. And if we do, we are we are selling our birthright for a mess of pottage. Absolutely. So I we kind of touched on this earlier, and this is one of like the questions I wanted to ask you earlier, but coming full circle right along these lines. I gave my opinion on why I think people are willing to be controlled. I felt like it was related to the idea that they don't have to deal with their own decisions and those and the consequences of those decisions. And that's why socialism has like any place right now is because they feel like, well, if the government decided for me, then I don't have to pay the price for whatever fallout there may be from this. <laughs> that's right. That's my opinion. I'm curious what you think. Like do you why why are so why are people so willing to be controlled? Well, it's easy. And, and then they don't have to take accountability. You know, I said, I made a post that said this. I said, it's sad to see people blaming the LDS prophet for what's now happening with the result of the jab. Unprecedented sickness and death, heart attacks, blood clots, etc. It was an urging 
not a commandment. It did say that. People I said that. Their, yeah, and so then I said this. I said, if you are someone you loved are now sick or dead, don't you dare blame the prophet. Now, that triggers a lot of people. They're like, but he did it. He's the one that said it. And I said, but did he force you? The answer is no, he did not force you. And neither did anyone else in America. You took it. And so then I, I go on to say, you clearly, and I don't mean this for everyone. This isn't just a blanket statement. I'm talking about people that are now blaming the church because, because of, the, of what's happened, right? People dropping like flies all over the world of heart attack, which by the way, in my opinion, I think that that's a, a, a literal pro, uh, prophecy fulfilled of, of uh, men's hearts failing many, them. Many hearts uh, shall fail them. Men's yeah, I do yeah. think that. But, um, Interesting. But, uh, but I said, if you are someone you love or now sick, don't blame the prophet. You clearly didn't want responsibility to choose then, and it looks like you don't want responsibility now. God intended man to act, not be acted upon. So do not blame them. And don't lose your testimony because they happen to be wrong on a, on a human science experiment that is doing what it's doing. Because yeah. it's my opinion, it's, it's, a, it's a weapon. That's my opinion. It's a full-on weapon. And a lot of people, well, if he's the prophet, how couldn't he see this? How couldn't he see it? And the only thing I can say is, is God gave each individual the stewardship over their health and safety of, their, of them and their families, spiritually and physically, and, that's, and we are supposed to listen. That's why President Nelson said over and over, hear him, hear him. He did not say, hear me. That's right. Because that letter was written by the government. You better believe it. Did, uh, did you ever see those comparisons out there, by the way? This reminds me like when, when people compared just getting the vaccine to like Moses and the staff with the, the, the snake and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, th I think it's a great comparison, but I think it's the exact opposite. Meaning, do you remember who, was who worshipped the golden calf? Do you remember? Do you remember who got them to worship the golden calf? Was it Aaron? It was Aaron. Well, who was Aaron? His Aaron was in the is... first presidency, yeah. bro. Yeah. Aaron was the church leader. That was a big mistake. That's a really good point. No, but I, um, I'm specifically talking about when they were bitten by snakes, and he makes the staff, and he says, everybody look up to the staff, and you'll be healed. And people were like, well, the vaccination is just like looking to the staff. And I loved that comparison because all I had to do was say this. Well, if those snake bites had a 99.9% .9 survival rate, then yeah, you can make that comparison for me. But until then, this just isn't going to fly. Yeah, I had a lot of people come at me for that one. Well, I mean, even the, well, even the governor of the state of Utah said that the mask was like the serpent. It was like, dude. Don't get me started on Cox. My goodness. Oh, yeah. It's not even worth the breath. It's it's really sad. I mean, but that's what that shows that he is the perfect he is the perfect type of who we are as a people. Just be nice, just be kind. Even though he called, you know, the BYU kid that got kicked out an a hole on he, Twitter. Did, did you know did. that? I, oh, I, yeah. I knew I knew he commented on it. I didn't know he actually said a hole. Oh yeah. He said he said um racist a-hole oh my gosh uh no investigation no investigation but that's who he is so remember this is the same guy that that did a be kind he changed the beehive state to the be kind state for that's, a day yeah, that's right. this is the same person right i mean yeah. it's unbelievable this dude there is nobody nobody worse than spencer cox in the state of utah
Oh, and the media is just playing him like a fiddle. He's being puppeted. No, 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 no. He's playing the media like a fiddle. He knows exactly what he's doing. Really? So you're giving him more credit than I certainly am. he knows exactly what he's doing. You know, he had the Salt Lake Tribune girl in his back pocket with a job ready to roll right as soon as he took office. Jennifer Pierce or whatever her name was. Uh He already had a job for her lined up. No way. So, so they didn't go after. They didn't go after him at all during the election. He is brilliant. Go freaking figure. All right. So as we're kind of wrapping up here, I got to ask you because we, I, I'm, I'm actually like shocked at like the, some of the questions that I threw out there, and I wasn't like, I wasn't even saying I got to hit all these because it was just kind of I was happy to just have a good conversation, however that went. But I literally have a question here. What do you think? the biggest parallel is between today and the book of Mormon. <laughs> you already answered that with the third Nephi verses. That's incredible. I love that. Well, I think another one too is ether. So if you look at the book of ether at the end of the Jaredite civilization, mm-hmm. I just talked um, about that on my podcast. Actually. Yeah. They had to choose right. Uh, e- ether fifteen fifteen, which was that men, women, and children all had to choose to the army, which they may. Right. So ether fifteen fifteen. They all had to choose a side. And it reminds you of Republican Democrats. You have to pick a side. When really, when the devil makes you choose, it only leads to death. And so if you look at the civilization of the eth- of in Ether, all of the, the Jaredites, I believe that is the fate of America once, once we totally split in half again. Um, there is no winners. There is no winners in this. Like... B- that that's what the devil does. He makes it look like there's a there's a a right and a wrong decision. Now, yeah. if you're going to vote, you're going to vote for obviously you're going to vote for. But who that's is the Republicans? Like. Right? Like who who are they today? Mitt Romney. Wait, what right? you ask? Sorry, who is? Who are no, the I'm left? just saying who 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 are the who's the far right and far left? You got oh, Mitt yeah. Romney over here, and then you got Biden over here. They're the same people. Yeah. One of them just may look a little bit better. So what I'm saying is the parallel to me is that in the end, if we don't choose Jesus, we don't win. Well, to your point, like what, who would you rather end up as shiz or coriantumer? <laughs> That's right. Taken off the head or getting your head taken off. Yeah. And then, then what coriantumer sitting there just like, like, what do you think the coriantumer's next thoughts were? Like, what does the next day look like for coriantumer? He actually then probably says, I wish Shiz would have taken my head off. Like, I hate this. I don't want to be here. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a, a parallel. Like, a, like when all of this war breaks out, people are going to be like, we got to go fight. And it's like, oh, do you? Or do you got to be, go up in the mountains like Ether did? I'm going to have to remember that actually. I really am. Cause I, I, cause I kind of got caught up in that too, where it's like, you know, this is what's right. This is what's good. But you're kind of, I think you're. I think you're right. I think you're right. There ain't no winners in Armageddon, bro. That's right. I like that. That's a good quote, actually. There ain't no winners in Armageddon. That's really good. <laughs> you should you should coin that one. Uh, yeah, except Jesus, right? I mean, right. that's what this whole thing is for. Like, we're being tested. People don't understand. Like, we don't stop what's coming. Yeah. Joseph Smith said, Noah came before the flood and I come before the fire. There was nothing that was going to stop the flood. And in my opinion, there's nothing that's going to stop the fire. And But I don't think that's what God is going to ask, did you stop it? Did you stop it? No. I believe some of the questions he's going to ask is, where did you stand? Who did you become? 
right? I mean, that's the whole purpose. We're here to be challenged to see if we are going to do, right? He, we're here to become like him. And so when you see, why am I on the defense? Why am I on the defense? Why are we on the defense? That's all we're playing is defense. And I think that that's, that's a principle that he's trying to teach us. Like, the, in order to become like me, do you know how to battle? Every world that God creates, there's going to be a war between good and evil. And my whole thing is that if you do not know how to fight evil, how can you become like God? In other words, God is not only a God of peace and, and unity, but in Exodus 15 verses, uh, I think, 2 and 3, God is a God of war and strategy. Like, God is a God of war and strategy. And so if we don't know how to battle evil on this earth, how on earth are we going to become like God in heaven? Fantastically put. Fantastically so, put. I hope I'm wrong on all this stuff, by the way. But I hope <laughs> I get sent into a loony bin. I come out. Everything's well, getting fine. sent into a loony bin wouldn't mean you're wrong, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I come out and everything's a gallon, you know, interest rates are great, food is stocked up again, but I just don't see how this is going to end well for anybody. Well, even then, we had all that. So did you need something? No, no, my my daughter came in. Oh, gotcha. We had all that just three years ago. Look how quickly it feels like it gets taken away. You know, yeah. we had good gas prices. We had fully stocked yeah. groceries. We the economy was thriving, yeah. all that. But yeah, well, and if you look at Third Nephi after the twenty first year, the economy came roaring back again. So it's very possible that it could come back again, and everyone's going to be like, "Oh, we're saved. Trump saved us." I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it did actually, because I thought about that too in the sense of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's just a simple question that I ask a lot of people. Do you think the chances before Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed do you think the chances were greater that the economy was thriving or that it was in the dumps and for whatever reason a lot of people everybody i've talked to agrees that the speculation is that it was quite likely thriving yeah so what i'm saying is if everything comes back and it looks like it's coming back to normal get prepared even more that's when you prepare that's when i'll prepare for sure because because we're going to forget god we're not going to turn to god I mean, I said that's when I'll get prepared. I mean, I should prepare now. Like, that's, that's my <laughs> point. But, but when, don't take advantage of the economy being well even more by getting prepared. That's, that's yeah. what I would So say. if any of your viewer, or if any of your listeners want to, can I give my... Yeah, please, um, I was going to ask you to do this, actually, yeah. Yeah, so if you text the word LIBERTY to 888-210-6260, just text that word LIBERTY to 888-210-6260, then you'll be a part of my text message alert. I've only sent out two text messages in two years, so you're not going to get spammed. But just in case, it'll send you a link with all of my platforms. And it'll send you my book for free. Um, it's called Dispatched. I'll show you. Are you going to post this on a video? I will put it on YouTube eventually, but we can put this as part of the promo. I do do video promos. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, this is my book. It's called Dispatched Conscience or Conformity. Um, you can get it on Amazon, but you can also read it for free at ericmutsos.com. Um, and it's just about all my stories at the police department and um, just talks about, you know, 
um, some of the issue, it's the same stuff, you know, it's about, can, are you going to follow your conscience or not? And I talk about it all the time because I've, I've not followed my conscience so many times in my life that, that I know, I know when I'm off. And mm-hmm. so it's just really important that that's why we got to repent on a daily basis and just try to get straight with God. And that's how we can be blessed. Absolutely. Um, in fact, I actually did, did text and I verified the number as you were saying it Liberty to that number. And to your point, I haven't gotten even a text back since then. So I was like, I wonder if I did it oh, right. It didn't but... work. So, well, maybe, maybe there's something wrong. Oh, with I, should I get one immediately? Is that the point? You should. Yeah. But if you can't, if you don't get it, just go to ericmutsos.com and just sign up there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So once again, just so my listeners here, it's 888-210-6260. And you text the word Liberty, which you're going to verify that that's working. Or just go to ericmutsos.com, which is M-O-U-T-S-O-S, which, by the way, will yeah. obviously be spelled yeah, on the and podcast. Yeah, and my link tree is in my bio on my Instagram, which is at ericmutsos on my Instagram. And yeah. then my link tree is right there to, for the documentary and everything. And I'll link you in the description, too. Yeah, I just pulled up your documentary. It streamed perfectly. I was able to cast it to my TV, no problem. Um, and it was just so well done. It was so, no, I'm not kidding. It was like a quick hour. It went by fast. It was so entertaining. It was so well done. The Colin Ray concert, when you talk about that, and you're, that was hilarious, by the way. You're like, I guess this means Colin Ray opened for me. How crazy is that? That was good. <laughs> I thought that was good, too. <laughs> um, Colin Ray, true American. Really cool story how that came about, how it almost looked like everything got torpedoed last second, and then... You were, stay, you were able to revive it not too long afterwards. And then the very guy, county commissioner or something like that, who had first promised you that he could do the event, turned it on you, cancels it, and then he doesn't get reelected because it was just an uproar of just backlash that he got for canceling this event last minute and things like that. That's so just right. no backbone. Really wow. cool stories is my overall point. That documentary was awesome. Thank you. Um, what's next for you after all this? I don't know, man. I, I just go day to day. You know, I started a little supplement company that's, I'm trying to get, you know, try to catch up from last couple of years. It's called Freedom Blends. It's all products based on Liberty. I was going to ask you about those two, actually. Cause yeah, you, I've um... pro-life, yeah, I've got pro-life protein and first amendment multivitamins, commie colon cleanse, sleep off socialism. And then I have one that's like the bomb. It's called Freedom Fuel. It's like all your fruits and veggies organic in a capsule um nice. one of them has energy it's it works really good it just makes it so you don't crave carbs and sugars yeah, so you, mentioned I'm trying that to build on, you mentioned that on the norman podcast and i was kind of when i heard that it piqued my interest because i have such a problem with carbs it's so hard for me to not use carbs as energy no you want you want carbs i'm just saying when you're constantly craving carbs and sugars it's because your body's not nourished gotcha well, and so if you can just get and the right kind of carbs you know like if you can eat you know, the right clean carbs, it's, it makes all the difference. Sweet potatoes you want, jasmine Fruits, rice. veggies. Yeah. 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 So how does brown rice fit into there? I'm a big brown rice guy. I don't know. I don't eat brown rice a lot. So, okay. Well, that's, I was going to ask you about the supplemental products too, because I was curious about that. And you can find those on ericmutos.com as well. Yep. Cool. Yeah. yeah I'll, uh, I'll put your website on the description, a link to your Instagram, all that stuff. But Eric, thanks so much for coming on, man. This was, this was, I 
wildly entertaining. I, you, you also got me thinking about a lot of things and I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope it was enjoyable for you as well. I really liked picking your brain. It's a spiritual, and, it's a spiritual war, man. It really is. It really is. And I, I didn't plan on it getting as kind of spiritually oriented as it got, but I'm really glad it did because that's what I like more than anything. That's, I mean, the name of my podcast is latter day takes, right? So <laughs> it's inevitable. That's going to come up and I'm glad we didn't shy away from that at all. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Well, good luck with everything. Keep fighting, brother. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Thank you again to Eric Mutos for coming on the pod. That was awesome. It happened so quick. He was so willing. I love talking with him. Since then, we've corresponded a few times, and it's been fun. It's been fun to see what he's doing. The man goes hard. He goes hard, and he's He's, he's unapologetic about it, and we definitely need more people like him, I believe. Check out what he's up to on uh, ericmutos.com. Um, he has that documentary, uh, Non-Essential, which is, and I'm not kidding when I say this, it was very well produced, it was very well done, it was intriguing, it was very efficient in how they did it. It was only about an hour long, and I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. It, it went by very fast. They did a very good job on that, and it was really cool to see kind of how that event was highlighted and how everything had taken place. And then Eric's just up to a lot of other stuff, right? He's got his supplements going, um, and he's got all that on his site. He's got his free book that you can download. So ericmutos.com, make sure you go check that out. It's totally worth it. I would highly suggest at least watching the documentary, but going from there and checking out more of what he's up to. He's got Instagram as well, obviously, at ericmutos, and he, he's posting something all the time. It's like I, I get onto Instagram uh, and every time I get on, I see he's got something out there and he's always working. He's always, uh, he's always fighting. He's always putting stuff out there. Anyway, if you are a fan of that episode of this entire episode of the podcast, check out more episodes. They've got a whole library of them. You can follow me on pod on the Apple podcasts or Spotify, latter day takes, or pretty much anywhere where you can find a podcast. I believe leave a review if you can Give rating that always helps, right? I've had some, uh, I've had some progressive Mormons come after me before on this podcast that have given me bad reviews, so whatever it happens, I put myself out there on a public forum, it's bound to happen, right? You can't please everybody, but um, yeah, go ahead and uh, subscribe to the podcast too if you can, and if you found this appealing at all, thank you all for coming, staying for the entire episode, love you all, remember if you have any suggestions for topics for me to talk about that have to do with kind of Utah, the church, BYU sports, or honestly, whatever you think that I might want to opine on, send it my way. I'd love to take a look, and I'd love to talk about it. I'm always open to new ideas. Thank you all for your support, for your love, and we'll see you all next week. There's an hourglass sitting on my table I'm watching As everything's changing my mind goes to a different time Old love, I remember falling so mad. There must have been magic in the valley.